Hey, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where I chat with interesting people doing fascinating things who help me and hopefully you guys get out of our comfort zones. This week sees me having a chat with Digby Scott over a cup of tea and a piece of cake. Among other things, Digby is a leadership development thinker and practitioner. He specializes in accelerating the next generation of restless go-getters, which sounds amazing, and he'll tell us more about in the chat. Digby's all about finding your edge, the point where capability meets uncertainty in all aspects of life. Some of the topics we cover today include being scared of the ocean and the process of getting over that to the point where the ocean is now his mistress. The distinction between being pulled towards something rather than pushed. Doing something every day that terrifies you and excites you. Avoiding the flat line of experience and the values of peaks and troughs. The importance of consistently showing up. The ocean as a metaphor for life. The importance of having people to nudge you along in the right direction. Finding your edge and staying true to it. How he identifies if he's gone too far or not far enough. Training your courage muscles. The fear about putting yourself out there. Shifting the bell curve of society to the right. Cultivating curiosity, courage, connectedness and conviction. And of course, how he goes about getting uncomfortable. This is another awesome conversation with an awesome guest. So make sure to share out Digby's knowledge by hitting the share button on your uh, favorite podcast app. While you're there, make sure to click subscribe as well. It really helps the show out. Um, while we're on that, I just want to read out the latest review on the on the podcast over on uh, Apple Podcasts. So this one is from Airborne Kiwi, uh, Just Wow. It's hard to describe this podcast without doing it a disservice. From the poignant and the profound to the funny and the interesting, this has it all. Awesome stuff. Give it a listen. So again, wicked to, to get really cool reviews like this. Um, I'm, I'm very stoked. Thank you so much, Airborne Kiwi, for that one. And also, thank you guys as well for uh, taking the time to get un- uncomfortable with Digby and I today. Welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks for, for having me in your home tonight on this wild, uh, windy Wellington evening. Yeah, good to be here. Yep. And um, I'm pretty comfortable right now, so hopefully you are. Change. Yeah, you are looking <laughs> look quite comfortable sitting on the couch here with your cup of tea. Yeah. And I see you've you've uh, destroyed that piece of cake as yeah. well, which is which is good. Just ready and to uh, settle into a nice, comfortable conversation. I'm sure. 
Um, to kick things off, mate, in a, hopefully a reasonably comfortable way, can you let me and the listeners know a little bit about yourself, sort of where, you, where you're from, where you grew up? Yep. Are there any kind of major sort of formative experiences that happened when you were young that's, that have shaped yeah. you as a person you are today? That's a great question to start with, isn't it? So you can hear by my accent that I'm not a Kiwi, at least originally. So I was born in a, in a little town called Bridgetown, which is in the southwest of Western Australia. And um, I spent my first nine years there. And that was kind of cool because it was a barefoot existence, right? You know, running around, skinning your knees all the time, um, you know, with the dogs and the chooks and the farm animals and everything. It was almost natural to have cuts on your your legs and stub toes and everything. And then um, moved out to a little town on the coast called Dunsborough when um, not long after that. It was probably 10 or something. And there was, it was near Margaret River, which is a famous surf town. And over my teenage years, you know, always um, spending time in the surf, but always pretty scared of it, actually. I had this sort of fear of the ocean for years. And um, were there specific things that you were scared of with the ocean? That's a good, yeah. Um, Drowning, basically. Okay. <laughs> but, but what was it? Yeah, it's um, ah, oh, it was actually the water to start with. I remember as a little tiny little kid, I was about four or five, and my grandparents going on a cruise liner for the first time, um, out of Fremantle in Perth, and we're allowed to go and visit on the ship, you know, before they left to have a look around. And I didn't want to go on because I thought the ship would sink, <laughs> and I, I had this irrational fear of drowning or in the water or something. And then as I got older and started to go into where the waves were, um, it was about just getting dumped and being really hurt by the ocean. And it's interesting because now, so many years later, um, the ocean's like my wife calls it my mistress. (laughs) It's the place I spend as much time as I possibly can. So there's something happened, I reckon, probably in my late teens when I decided that I need to get over that the fear of whatever this thing that the ocean was making me scared about. Was that a a conscious decision that you made? I don't think the conscious decision was to get over the the fear of the ocean. I think it was more of a pull than a Mm -hmm. push. And what I mean by that, it was more what I wanted from the ocean was greater than the fear that held me back. And more specifically, I... um, I remember seeing, uh, it was actually my younger brother who, a um, bit wide differently to me, he, he's always been comfortable in the ocean. And I saw a video of him and his mates uh, windsurfing in these massive waves. And uh, I thought, hmm, I windsurf, but I'm not doing that. And I want to do that. And it was a bit of sibling rivalry. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually more than that. It was like, oh, yeah, that looks awesome. I want to do that. But it took me years to get comfortable to be in that position. So it wasn't like a snap decision, yeah. but it was a pull factor. I think that's quite an important point, right? It's like what mm. pulls you towards something rather than um, keeping you safe. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting, actually. I, and I, I've never really thought of it like that. I'll have to uh, the next mm. time I kind of feel that feeling, I'll have to sort of be be aware of it. I reckon. I reckon it's the. I heard a saying um, years ago. It's like yeah, do every so day do something every day that um excites you and terrifies or terrifies you I yeah i think it was something like eleanor roosevelt or something and i think they're two sides of the same coin eh? it's like mm. um 
if something uh, is scary, there's got to be an excitement bit to that as well. I think it's about looking for that Angie. I wrote a blog actually called Avoid the Flat Line, which was, um, yeah, you can have a flat line of experience, yeah, but a flat line is like death. You know, mm. um, whereas you want the ups and downs in life, and my wedding ring actually is is a is a ring with a, with a ups and downs of life all around it, like the waves, oh, and mountains, cool. and everything. Yeah. It's very symbolic. The same about always kind of don't have a boring life. Go and go and find the picky bits, and the mm. you know, mm. maybe you're going to have to have some trophy bits as a result. But that's actually a more interesting life. Yeah, I think I mean having those having those those troughs does make you appreciate having the peaks yeah. a little bit more yeah, as well, absolutely. and kind of vice vice versa as well. That I think that the troughs are are important because often that's where you sort of start to learn the most of about yourself yeah. when you when you're dealing with those those troughs, mate. Absolutely. In fact, there's a cool book. Um, it's called High Surf by Tim Baker, and he's he has all these metaphors around. Um, surf and what it teaches you about life and mm. it says when when you're surfing the time to be paddling hardest is when you're in the trough because mm. the wave behind is coming and eventually that'll pick you up but only if you're moving already and there's a really cool metaphor there i reckon around well when you're in a crappy space in life that's when you want to start to move and, and put the effort in and maybe you're feeling like you're not moving very fast but by putting the effort in eventually the next wave will come and pick you up and move you forward, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I reckon that's a good one for life too, as hard yeah. as it might be to do in practice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I mean, it's hard, to, it's hard to do when you're out there in the ocean and you, and you, <laughs> yeah. you understand the need to, to do it. But I, th- I think, yeah, your metaphor around that is really resonates with me and I don't know if that's just because I – Grew up as a Kiwi near the ocean all the time as well, and uh, was was kind of constantly, yeah, constantly in it. So I, I understand it as well. And I, yeah, as as you say, I kind of I feel that that pull towards it. Um, when you were when you kind of decided, hey, this is what I want from it is more than mm. what I'm what I'm scared of. I want to move towards this. How did you How did you go about kind of getting Okay with being in the being in the ocean. Well, with that end. particular situation, I reckon it's still a journey I'm on. Actually, mm-hmm. um, in fact, you know, if it's really big surf, I'm definitely scared. Yeah, but it doesn't stop me from going out. I mean, there will be a point where I go, oh, "It's way too dangerous." To yeah, go, but yeah. that's more common sense than it is purely irrational fear. So, mm-hmm. I think it was just, um. Keeping showing up, actually. Yeah. So, you know, again, you know, this place, Nalu, um, that I go to every year, and way in the north of Western Australia, and still you know, living in New Zealand 10 years, I still go back every year. Um, in some, That's a place where there's coral reef and it's big waves and it's scary and there's sharks and humpback whales and everything you've got to avoid when you're out in the water. But I've been going back every year and, you know, I think now it feels like putting on an old shoe or something when I go, hand in glove sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. But I think the first few times it was like, okay, I'd go, but I'd always just find the edge of my comfort zone and go, okay, I've reached it. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next year it might just go a little bit further and then just yeah. a little bit further. Yeah. That's not the only time I go windsurfing, of course, but it was probably the place where it tests me the most. So mm. it's kind of that's the – it's that gradual showing up again. Eh? Yeah. You know? And is that 
going going a bit deeper into that kind of being able to go a bit further the next year is that do you think because your comfort zone has expanded slightly because yeah. you continually show yeah. up I think so it's sort of like anything it's a familiarity right so it's what I love about not just that place and um I mean I think there's the ocean is such a metaphor for life right there's mm. it's you can get comfortable in it, but it's always changing. It's always unpredictable, and it's always the boss. Yeah. And there's something about being more comfortable in some ways because you've been there before, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You need to maintain a healthy respect yeah, for, for I, the ocean. And I think actually what does change is my sense of efficacy. You know, my sense of I can handle whatever's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I don't know what's going to come up, I can handle what's going to come up because I've kind of been here before enough times to have dealt with lots of situations and I've always got out of them or I've, you know, I haven't died yet, so I must be able to handle stuff. And I think just knowing that, even though the specifics of what might happen, I don't, I might not know. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just also um, – Probably the other thing, and we were talking about it before we went online, eh? it's like having other people around you who are going to nudge you along helps as well with that growing your comfort zone, I reckon. So we've probably gone off topic a bit. Eh? Yeah, no, 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 that's, that's all right. It's been, a, it's been an interesting kind of rabbit hole to, to go down. <laughs> what I like, why, don't, why don't we talk about that a little bit, um, though, that kind of su- whatever you want to call it, the support network or the, the people that you're, that you're hanging out with. And we, we mentioned, I mean, we're both fans of, of Tim Ferriss, and yeah. he's a he's a big proponent of uh, you're that you're the average of the five people that you hang around the yeah. most. And I think yeah. there's actually been there's there's been a bit of research done about that as yeah. well. And we we're talking if that if you're if you're hanging around people that are that are kind of pushing you forward and pushing you into going out into this big surf and and enjoying that stuff, um, you you push yourself harder you you you're more confident in yourself than if you're yeah. hanging hanging around people that are say oh nah probably better not do that i agree uh, it's so there's definitely that peer pressure that you get in teenage times but i reckon at least for guys i reckon it's always there that yeah. kind of yeah, healthy yeah. competition you know the other bit is not just like i'm going why don't you go sort of um thing but also it's about seeing someone else do it and then you go Oh, it's not that hard. Mm. Um, so an example of that is I do quite a bit of mountain biking around here. And um, a few years ago, it's probably only two years ago actually, um, there's this trail up Porirua, not very far away, that has got this fairly scary bit at the top, these big steep, shooty, zigzaggy bits. And I, um, went, the first time I encountered that, I got off my bike and walked it. And I was like, there's no way anyone could ride down this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, how could you do this? And then I thought, well, they built it. They must to ride, right? <laughs> someone so, must have been Someone down. must be able to ride this. Maybe I'm just really crap. <laughs> and, but then there was a um, – so the next few times I'd ride it, <laughs> and I was always by myself doing this. I was kind of pleased no one was seeing me doing this big chicken. Uh, but then I'd, I'd try and I'd be really hesitant and I'd put my brakes and I'd fall off and I'd fall over and rolled out and, and it was like oh god how do you do this and then i went with a mate who um and i was just following just behind him and he just kind of went 
whoosh, 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 down it. And I saw him and I didn't even think. And I just mm. went and I didn't, I, I, I saw the line he took. I was like, oh, okay. And that was about the extent of my thinking. And I just followed him down and made it. I was like, and it was just like, whoo. I was like, I think the lesson for me was um, having someone else with you who is almost just a little bit ahead of you in skill or has done it before or is maybe just a little less fearful or whatever yeah. that you're with at the time. I think it's something about, it's almost like being in their slipstream, you know, and, and I think that helps a lot with finding courage and getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, and I think the other part is, yeah, you know, it just—I didn't engage the brain with it. I just went with it. Mm. It's kind of like, well, if he can do it, I'll just follow him, you know. And that wasn't even a conscious thought. Yeah, there's something quite powerful in that. I reckon it's like being around people who are doing it already. You know? Definitely, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, more kind of recently, I think I've I've kind of come to the conclusion that it's it's never a good idea to be. Like either the either the smartest or the most interesting person in the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. That you always want someone in there as well that you're is, is teaching you stuff and yeah. is, and that, that you're learning from. And I mean, you're you're going to have sort of different expertise with that, but it's yeah, it's a, it's a very similar concept of totally. going out and doing things with people that are better than you at doing them. Yeah, is the best way to learn. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and. Yeah, it's better, but also maybe a little bit more driven too, or mm-hmm. a little bit more like, "Come on, mate, you know, oh, yeah, let's yeah. go." And I, I reckon there's so many times where that's been good for me, and also I know I've been good for people, my mates or, mm. or colleagues mm. or whatever, by just giving them that little nudge to go, "Come on, mate," you know. I know you don't really want to do it; it was a little bit uncomfortable. Come on, you can do it. And I think it's. It sort of goes both ways, actually. And there's a real good feeling when you've helped someone else find that edge for them too, you know. it's I've got a, a good friend who comes on these trips with me to Western Australia. He's, he's, he lives in Perth. Um, the first time I went up to this place, this Nalu, he he was like, ah, oh, I don't know, it sounds pretty scary, you know. And now he comes back every year as well and he loves it. He's fallen in love with the place as well. So... It's kind of like, you know, um, everyone has a duty to nudge other people, I reckon. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I completely, completely agree with that. Um, you made a, an interesting, like, you made an interesting comment before about finding your edge. And we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording as well. Um, and it kind of, can you, can you describe what you mean by finding your edge? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, finding your edge, I, the feeling of the edge is probably a place to start. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell a story. Okay. So yeah. I was a director in a consultancy business in Wellington for about five years. Uh, and I was running this part of the business and I had a lot of other people working for me doing sort of basically leadership development work and you know, running workshops for clients and stuff like that. But I was sort of running the practice. I was the sort of the head of it. Um, so I was being more of a manager and I was um, you know, winning business, business development, sales and all that sort of stuff. And I was good at it. But I noticed over a few years, I started to just lose my mojo a bit. And you could say lose your edge. Um, mm. And the practice started to flatline a bit in terms of revenue and everything. And um, 
One day, a client asked me to come and run a workshop, specifically me to run a workshop for them. Um, and it was on something like coaching skills or coaching conversations or something. And uh, I ran the workshop and I hadn't run something like that for probably five or six years at that point. And I remember coming home and saying to my wife, that was the best day I've had in two or three years. I'm hardwired for this stuff. And I was fizzing. I was almost like electricity, right? And it was, and during the whole day, there was this, I was like, oh, this is, this is what life's about. Well, at least not all of life, but the professional <laughs> part. So, oh, delivering and working with a group of people and helping them learn and see. So, oh, I miss this so much. And that was, it was that fizzing electric feeling. Um, and coming home saying, I'm hardwired for this. There was something that was about coming back to my edge. And it's that point, I think, of the intersection of your competence, your ability to do something, um, when it bumps up against the unknown. There's something about that edge, which, you know, again, coming back to the ocean metaphor, I, I often use the one of a wave. So when you're surfing, you need the skill to surf well, but you've got this wave which is you you can never really predict what's going to happen. Mm. You have to be totally present to what's going to happen on the wave. If you want to master riding the wave, you can't think about what's going to happen or what did happen. You have to be like in the moment and actually on the edge of your surfboard, you know, carving it and just noticing what's happening. And that's an amazing feeling as well. And I think that's the same thing I felt that day was that fully, totally present, using all my skills, um, and yeah, not too much using my head. It was actually just using my whole self. You know, that sounds a bit hippie, but you know what I mean? It's like, mm. it was a really, so I think the edge is the place where people generally do their best work. Um, yeah. and I think finding your edge is, oh, it's a lifelong quest. <laughs> Staying true to it is probably the more, more of the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I really like that concept there and I think yeah uh, that's kind of where you feel most alive is when you're on that kind of cusp of of your capability yeah yeah and dealing with yeah. the dealing with the unknown and that's kind of when you when you feel alive when you feel energized with things and I think I mean one of the one of the challenges with that is that your edge is going to be consistently changing yeah. based on yeah. On your experiences and your capabilities changing in right, time and uh, yeah. in the environment that you're working in, and changing and almost sometimes how you feel on the day as well. Yeah. So I think it's, as you say, it's a lifelong quest because it's a constant evolution yeah. with it. I agree. I think what you were doing maybe last year um, to what you're doing now to what you might be doing too is mm. always expect it's going to change. It's interesting because, yeah, you know, when I first started my practice, that I you know, just me now, quite a, you know, four years ago, um, I was doing a lot of individual coaching. Um, yeah, it wasn't my whole practice, but it was quite a lot. And it was a bit of a comfort zone for me, but it was a nice way to come back to my edge at the point. It was like, a, okay, yeah, I can earn money from this and fun. But I'm doing less and less individual coaching now because primarily it's not spinning my, my, my own personal wheels from a challenge point of view. Still get a lot of learning out of it and I still make a difference. But to me, there's the edgy stuff is more working across a bigger system with greater, larger groups of people in different ways. 
that's more challenging for me. And thinking today, actually, you know, I feel like I'm in my sweet spot right now. Um, there's a, which is kind of like you say, that's you, you're, you're on the edge, but it's not too scary. Mm, and it's mm. not too gnarly, but it's also not too flatline and boring. Um, it feels like a really nice combination now. And I think this too will pass. And there might be a point, at some point we'll go, actually, I've swung the pendulum too far one way. Uh, and I think, it's, I think the skill is, uh, my coach, she says, um, you know, look for your red flags. You know, what are your red flags to tell you whether you're too far one way and you've got, you, you're too out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. or whether you're just too flatlining it and life's too boring. Yeah. yeah. Do you have like a specific list of red flags that you you identify or yeah. it's a feeling? Uh, it's more of a feeling, actually. It's not a list of doing X, Y, and Z. Um, it's uh, I know when I'm getting overwhelmed, I'll tend to go into myself mm-hmm. and I won't be as outgoing as I normally am and – so people might not hear from me. I might be grumpy with the kids, whatever. Um, and that goes also a bit when I'm the other way, when I'm underwhelmed and a bit bored. I might, I'll just be listless and mm-hmm. so maybe not grumpy, but but sort of listless. So I know, and I've been there enough times to, and that frame, framing of the red flag helps me look specifically for my energy levels and my, my feeling. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of constantly, consistently self-auditing yourself on on that or do you have like a process where you kind of stop like once a week or once a month and say hey yeah i need a i need a self-check yeah so i i work with my own coach um Mm. and we connect on average probably about every three weeks Mm -hmm. i've got a call with her tomorrow morning um and that's part of that process for me is to to sit down and be forced to think where am i at how am i going that sort of stuff um, I think at a less structured level, I'm probably doing it every day, but I'm not formal about it. I, mean, like I don't journal every day and mm. do self-analysis and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think probably if the, if the line goes too far one way or the other, eventually one of my things to get me out of that will be a lot more self-reflection. So if I'm in the trough, I reckon I'll be journaling a lot more. So if I ever read my journals now, it'll probably be all the crap times I've had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just thinking, oh man, I'm a downer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, who are you? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, not really. I mean, there's, I definitely write the other stuff too. Yeah, I tell you one thing I've been doing is I, I use this app. Um, I just started doing it. It's called One Second Every Day, and it's a little app that every day you just get your phone and you just do a video that's a second mm-hmm. of your day. Right, and then every day, you know, over over a month, that's thirty seconds. So after a month, you have thirty seconds of video, which is just a second every day, and it just autom- automatically edits into this little clip. And then I just share that on Facebook, um, yeah, once a month. And if I look back over it, I go, okay, what were the cool days? And it's like a visual journal, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I go, yeah. oh yeah, that day I remember that when I was doing that thing with so and so. That was really cool when we went and did X or Y. I worked with that client and we had this really cool workshop. Yeah, and that's actually a really good, almost a barometer of what's the quality of my month been like. You know, and and a fun thing to do, right? Mm, and it's yeah. also quite cool to share with people. And they can rather than doing a daily post on Facebook or whatever, you can just yeah. go well, once a month. Here's my month. 
And people can go, that looked like a cool month or yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But for me, it's a it's a nice way to sort of just check, oh, how's this, how, how, what were the highlights there and what made it a highlight, you know? Mm. Yeah. How do you how do you pick what bits to video? Oh, that's very subjective. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's more actually when do I whip the camera out? And yeah. I've got a lot better at noticing interesting things. Mm-hmm. So, um, or someone says something interesting in conversation, say, can you just say that again or <laughs> whatever? I mean, I actually haven't done much of that. But it's like sometimes I'll just see a nice light on a window or a building and I'll just film that. It doesn't have to be anything major. Mm. Um, but it, it's just noticing and remembering to go, okay, look for something cool that's happening today or interesting that's happening today and then um, dial into that. So it's not necessarily about being uncomfortable, actually. It's more a way for me just to keep noticing what's interesting for me and the surroundings I'm in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And it's been a, was that the kind of aim of the game when you started that? Yeah, or has it been question. an interesting byproduct of it? I I think it was actually who was it I was listening to? I can't remember. I don't think it was Tim Ferriss. I think it was the um Ted Radio Hour oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. uh podcast. And there was someone on there who was talking about it and I thought, that sounds just like an interesting project. So mm. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um and actually the uncomfortable bit was probably the first time I shared it. And it was like People are really going to be interested in this. Um, so I'm not going to look like an idiot sharing this. You know. But no, people really liked it. So I thought, okay, yeah. Which is interesting. I think that's another bit mm. about being uncomfortable. Right? It's like sometimes you've just got to um, go, well, to hell with it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to um, overanalyzing the whole thing. And, you know. Yeah, I, I, I know, understand what you mean with that. I mean, and I think – the, the podcast is an example of that for me. It's yeah, like putting yeah, out yeah. those first episodes. You're like, <laughs> bloody hell, what's uh, what's going to come of this? And I think I was I was probably guilty of overanalyzing things a little bit uh, at that yeah. point. And but yeah, the, I, do I mean it all the, the, time. the 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 nerves were the nerves were definitely there as I um, when uh, when I was having my first conversations with people, but also then kind of putting it out and actually putting things out in the open that people could. Uh, critique or troll or no one thankfully no one's ever no one's trolled me um and hopefully please don't start um, <laughs> you agree but i've had uh, i've had uh, i've definitely had some constructive feedback as well with with things which has been which has been good yeah. and i think it's uh, as long as you kind of take that in your take that in your stride yeah, it's that openness it. to the good stuff mm. and being able to detach from the any crappy stuff i'm wondering for you was I'm interviewing you for a bit. Yeah, well, go for Where it. was the point where, and maybe you're there, I don't know, um, where you started, was there a hump you got over where it was like, okay, I'm good with putting it out there now? Yeah, I think I'm good with putting I'm good with putting it out there. I think there are still times where I, I kind of feel like I haven't been sort of fully authentic in a conversation or maybe I haven't. I've been right. a, a little bit nervous around a conversation and, feel that maybe I haven't kind of asked the most probing yeah, questions yeah. or or directed the conversation in a way yeah. that I, I not not kind of sitting on the edge yeah as as you'd yeah, say yeah, with yeah. it that there's there's more I could have I could have got out 
out of it. Um, I go back and I kind of edit and re-listen yes. to all my conversations and even the, even some though that I've, I've had conversations with people and I've felt, oh, actually I could have done better with that. I, most of them I'll go back and listen to and actually think, well, that was still a bit really, really cool conversation. Yeah, you can be your own worst critic on that, right? Mm, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing is sometimes we just go, we're aiming for perfection. It's like, yeah. oh, no, you don't need to be yeah. perfect. Right? And I think one, one of the other beneficial things for me is because I put a podcast out every week, it means that I just have to keep doing it yeah. and I have to, I have to keep going with it. And Digby, you'll be, you'll be podcast number 70. Yeah, that's so, awesome, uh, that's yeah, which is, which is really cool. It wasn't something I was expecting when I started, but I, I think the fact that I've been and had 70 conversations with, with people is that you either, you, you expand your comfort zone pretty fast with that and you either, uh, get it, become okay with throwing things out there or, Yep. You, or you stop, yeah, probably. You stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm the same with my blogs, right? Mm. I mean, I do, do, do it every week, but on average it's every two weeks. And and I remember actually I used to write a newspaper column back in Perth and it was every week I had to write 800 words. And gosh, you just had to stump up. They had a mm. deadline you had to deliver and it was – some of it was pretty average, some of it was really cool. And some of those articles I still use today – work I do and um, then the thing was I learned what by getting out of my comfort zone and having to continually push be out there I learned so much so fast about what good writing was Mm, you know it mm. was actually a really useful process even though some of the byproduct or some of the output was pretty average yeah Um, I think that's also about being okay with Average output sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you're looking at it as a learning process, yes. There's a guy I don't know if you're aware of him called James Clear who writes a lot about habits, and he he set himself a, a target. I think it was for a for a year or for two years that he was going to publish three articles every week, and so he just had to write and he stuck to that schedule. And he That's said awesome. he was like, look, some of them were some of them were average, yeah. but. Because I was putting so much out there, there was some really amazing stuff yeah. in it as well. And, and the aggregate would probably be yeah, still pretty yeah, good. Yeah, right? yeah. And I got so I became so much better because of the consistency and because of the small gains that I made. Yeah, along the it. way. Yeah. So there's mm. something. Yeah, I wrote a um, blog not long ago actually called um, "Courage is a Practice," and this mm. whole idea of you know everyone says I've got to muster up the courage, and it's kind of like yeah, you know, there's all these little bits of courage you just got to pull together and you have a big courage ball. It's like, well, that's, nah. you know, and it's not, and, and often it's like I've got to muster up the courage because something big and scary is facing me. And actually what if you just treated your courage like something you built every day, like going to the gym. You don't just go to the gym once and you have big muscles. You do it over time, right? And this thing about what if you did small acts of courage every day for three months, right? And you just push yourself, like Eleanor Roosevelt would say, you know, push yourself a little bit every day. And then you slowly build up your courage muscles. So when the big thing comes along, it's actually not that big anymore because you've mm-hmm. built up the habit. And I love that idea that, you know, the courage is the practice that you just like writing, you just do it every day. And then you, you eventually you're, uh, 
you know, nothing's actually that insurmountable because you've you've honed being a little bit uncomfortable every day. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, the more I understand about life, the, the more I think you can train pretty much yeah. anything yeah. is that you can, as you say, you can kind of progressively load yourself through a courage training program yeah. to, to hit that big yeah. courageous thing that you want to do cool in, idea, right? in three months' time or uh, continually sort of expand your comfort zone yeah. in, a, in a similar way. Yeah, with yeah. it and kind of I mean build build your writing skills or yeah. build your your resilience by yeah by well for things. me one of them was actually um, you know being really open um, I used to have a big thing an internal fear or um, repulsion maybe that's a too strong a word with dealing with really senior men like people who were in positions of power who are like chief executives or heads of whatever. And I would avoid being in conversation with them. There's something about me feeling inferior or whatever around that. And you could go back to childhood maybe and analyse all that. But there was something about um, – I was just before I came home tonight, I had a, a beer with a guy who's a – uh, going to be a chief executive very soon of a large public sector agency. Never met him before. We had a, a quick conversation over half an hour just to sort of get to know each other. And I, no, I was noticing, thinking, geez, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been quaking in my boots. And there's something about just um, noticing tonight how I thought, well, he's just a bloke and I'm just a bloke and we're getting to know each other. And it was something interesting about that journey, which I'd probably never fully analysed before. But there's something about probably again, it's that just that incremental, just put myself in the face of situations that are gonna just test me, and then eventually I go, oh, I can do this, yeah, yeah. And it's quite cool because it's opened up a whole new world for me as a you know, practitioner doing what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Should we should we talk a little bit about what you're what you're doing, Digby? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's taken, probably taken a little bit longer than what I was thinking that might do to to get to this. <laughs> one of the one of the things that I really enjoy, um, and you, it, it, I want you to explain what it is that you do. But one of the things that you that you do is accelerating the next generation of restless go getters, which is a really cool concept. <laughs> it is. Eh? What yeah. does it mean? <laughs> what, what does that mean? It's a wicked p- mental picture. Oh gosh. Um, what does it mean? Uh, I'll tell you a story because I think that's the way to get to it. Um, so when I was about my late 20s, I was quite young. I was a national manager of a recruitment company here in New Zealand. Came and set it up. The London office wanted a New Zealand base and I came out here with another colleague and I ended up being national manager. After a couple of years, um, I burnt out severely in that job and didn't have a nervous breakdown, but it was pretty bloody close to it. It was that sort of um, massive knock in confidence. And it took me years and years to recover confidence-wise from that. And in that role, I wasn't supported at all. I was this young buck with full of energy and focus and vision and drive and all this sort of stuff, and I went flat in my face. My boss was in London, good guy, but I, there wouldn't, I didn't have the support. I didn't wrap around the support around me. 
Um, I didn't have the savvy to look for the red flags, all that sort of stuff. And I think it was a huge cost to me. And it was, a, I think, probably opportunity cost because for quite a few years, I played really small after that. And I also saw in when I was doing that work, we were recruiting lots of really talented people into roles, into organisations. And, you know, you'd put all this effort into the interview process and they'd pay lots of money to get the right person. But then six months later, more often than not, I'd be getting a call saying, ah, you know, not really working out. Um, Want to look for something else. It's not really, I'm not really thriving here or the client might call and say, oh, you know, not a great fit, whatever. You know, take a few months, but eventually that would happen. And it got me thinking, look, this has happened to me, but also I've noticed it happened to so many other, you know, people around my age, or maybe a bit older, a bit younger, so usually in their 30s. It's like, wow, there's some wasted talent um, happening, a lot of wasted talent um, not really aligning and thriving and, and organisations not getting the best out of the people. What is going on? And this was probably 20 years ago. It was quite a long time ago. So I'm nearly I'm 50 this year. And um, that set me on a path. So as I got out of the fog of this burnout and started to think a bit about well, what I want to do, it was actually I want to not have this happen to other people. And that shift, that set me on this sort of journey that I'm still on, I think. Um, don't like that word journey, so you can eat. <laughs> just for the record. Um, but in various guises, that's what I've been doing. I've always been attracted to working with not the top level, not the chief executives, even though that's kind of happening a bit now. But I'm more interested in, in, in at the personal level, having people who have got dreams and vision and energy and want to go make a difference to help them to make that happen for themselves and not go to where I went in terms of a really horrible time. Um, and I, it's not really about wrapping cotton wool around them. To be honest, actually, they need to be pushed and challenged. But there's a lovely phrase, you know, with backbone and heart, right? And that's what I try to provide, the backbone is the challenge and get your comfort zone. But the heart to do it in a way that, you know, gives them, keeps the spirit up. And, but also, I think at a more commercial level, at a more organizational and, and society even level, um, you know, there's uh, the old guard is retiring. If you think about the, you know, the bell curves of society, there's a very small number of people now in sort of the 30s and 40s compared to the next generation coming through that are in these leadership roles. And there's a massive amount of change going on. All the old guard are leaving. We need people who can be at the top of their game and thriving in a chaotic environment um, as the old people vacate their top. No, sorry, old people listening in. I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, the people with the grey hair starting to move on. It's like, well, the next generation need to be able to be super capable and um, to, to, to deal with a really messy world. And so at a, we need to find ways to accelerate their development. Uh, and I, and also the whole uh, the whole employment model I think is changing. The whole way in which we organise, you know, the hierarchical structures, that's all in flux now. And so different ways of leading, different ways of making a difference, different ways of getting stuff done, ways of uh, inventing new ways to add value to the world. Um, 
people need to. I think we we need more people who can be breaking the mold, and I'm I want to support those people. I think quite a lot of people out there that uh, are very keen on doing that. That's a great question. I think of it like a bell curve, right? So if mm-hmm. you think of a normal distribution curve, and then down the right hand end, you've got your your ones who are already doing it, right? And there's a small amount of them who are just they're always going to do it from birth, almost. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then down the other end, you've got people who will never do it. You know, they, it's all about staying safe and kind of just going along, and you know, and and I think there's a small number of them. And then there's a large amount in the middle who are at varying degrees wanting to there's a there's a fire there but the fire maybe on the left hand side is dialed down a bit and further you go right towards that restless end the fire is hotter and i think it's a bit of a skewed bell curve a bit skewed to the left um i think there's a over representation of people who play it too safe um and a smaller number of people who have decided to push it but don't quite know they don't quite have the confidence and i know i've been there it was like i'm gonna mm. do this but i'm wobbly you know mm. so mm. i reckon there's a there's a i don't know what percentage wise it would be but you know there might be a third who are in that kind of trying and a bit wobbly but then there's probably you know maybe less than two-thirds but something like that that are kind of just playing it safe and yeah, I reckon some of those you could nudge. Those ones just to the left of the middle, you could give a good nudge to, and you you, you tip the system. And uh, yeah, I think I think there's people who go, I'd love to, but mm. there's a lot of that. That that I hate to hear that. It really annoys me. <laughs> so they're not the ones that you want to be working with. I reckon it's the ones <laughs> just on the cusp yeah. and just to the right. Yeah. So if I'm ones that being, are slightly wobbly. Yeah, slightly wobbly because I think it doesn't take too much to to straighten them up and get them mm, moving right. right. Um, and I love that because it's uh, yeah. Then you can move the whole curve to the to the right. I think society needs something that is more about that those ones on the left that is not going to be done by one person, me coming in and running leadership programs or whatever. I mean, that's part of it. But I think there's a cultural shift that needs to happen, which is more around embracing um, discomfort, embracing change, not about, you know, there's good stuff about stability and it's not about throwing out stability. It's about stability and evolution, right? And mm. I think there's a shift we need to make as societies, which is we are talking about before we, we kicked off, eh? the um what well, how do you say it? it's the it's it's okay to skin your knees it's okay for people to get a bit hurt um it's okay to have discomfort going on and all this drama about bad things you know, as a little kid fell off the slide at school so we're going to wrap the whole slide in cotton wool sort of stuff it's like ah oh, come on society this is not a way to be a civilized, progressive society. If we're always saying we've got to keep people safe, mm. um, I'm getting on a soapbox here, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, but, <laughs> but that's all right. I'll get up there. I'll yeah, get yeah, up. I'll, I'll dial it back. I'll get up. I'll get up there with you as well. And, yeah. I, and I think humans, uh, humans as a as a species, I'm reading Sapiens at the oh, moment, which is ridiculously book. interesting. I'm with you. Um, it's a great book. But, I mean, humans as a species are just remarkably resilient that we heal really well and we like we forget bad stuff pretty pretty well as well. 
And I think playing things really, really safe, we're kind of at, at a point now where we're faced with a whole kind of raft of of challenges of where we go as a species that aren't going to be solved by the way we've thought about problems before and the way yeah. we, we need to kind of in our, innovate our way out of some of this stuff. And I think that left-hand side of the, the bell curve that are playing things safe aren't going to aren't going to help us do that so i think you're the way that you're pushing pushing people more towards the right is that that's kind of the way the future needs to the future needs to go and yeah, kind of what we I, need to be doing i totally i love that yeah that book sapiens and you know it's interesting there's my there's a colleague of mine in the u.s he's a kiwi guy nick petrie and he had a look at this idea called vertical development um and vertical development is essentially um, growing our capacity to deal with complexity, right? How do we grow people uh, to handle more complexity? And he says there's three ingredients um, to do that. And, and one of them is this idea of heat experiences, right? And a heat experience is a situation that you face that your current level of thinking won't um, be able to solve. You won't be able to use that level of thinking to be able to solve the problem. And a lot of our existing problems in society, like the health system or whatever, we're trying to use all sorts of thinking to solve these really, really complex problems. And so you need that heat to kind of almost like dissolve your thinking and just and it forces you to innovate your way through. Um, but unless you've got the heat, unless you've got this kind of crikey, we've really got to solve it, then you won't be forced to change your thinking. You know, it's the whole paradigm shift idea. It's like, mm. you know, seeing something in a completely different light. And it's a little bit like, you know, I do a lot of work with, um, well, I used to do a lot of work with uh, people who were going from that technical expert role to becoming a boss for the first time, you know, and we've all been there, right? Yeah. And, and the that, the mindset, the level of thinking when you're a textile expert is about getting it done right and doing a really high quality job and being perfect and all that sort of stuff. And that's what you're rewarded for and that's what your identity is about as being an expert. And it's very black and white. Very black and white, right? Then you become a people manager, you know, a team leader or whatever. And you can't rely on that being perfect and right and black and white. Um, because the job becomes more about delivering stuff and the paradigm then becomes, well, actually 80% is good enough because it's more important to deliver than it is to be perfect, right? And that's quite a shift for people to make in their thinking about what it means to be good and successful. You know? And I think that's a, little, a small example of shifting thinking. You know? mm. And the successful people, you know, they go into those team leader roles and, they face the heat and they go, crikey, I've got to reinvent how I do this work and I've got to let go of some of that old thinking. And that's what we need to do, it, I think, at a macro level all the time as well. Yeah. Mm. It's, I mean, that, that's really interesting. And I, that was a, that's a challenge that, that I, I face probably regular listeners <laughs> to the show. Uh, we'll, we'll know that I'm a, my, my day job, I work as a physiotherapist and I kind of transitioned to a, into a part, part-time physiotherapist, part-time manager as well. And you, everything goes from, from being that black and white and then you transition and all of a sudden everything is 
different shades of grey. Probably yeah. not fifty yeah. of them. Maybe yeah. maybe more. Um, and you almost kind of have this uh, existential crisis, <laughs> and you're like, I have to recreate a whole new paradigm, a whole yeah. new way of way of thinking to world. deal with this change. Yes. And I've just segued really, really nicely into my next question for you. Because <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about the um, practical skills that people should develop to accelerate change. And you've got uh, you've got four C's oh, yeah. around that. Can you uh, can okay. you talk about them a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so I, I don't have a core practical skills, but more uh, they're more qualities to cultivate mm-hmm. uh, and the skills that come with them. So the four C's are to be curious, to be courageous, to be connected, and to have conviction. So let, let's talk through those. So the curious one is about always be learning, right, and never assume you know everything. And uh, I think there's a there's a if you think of another spectrum, I'm quite visual. So it's um, you know the spectrum at one end you've got ignorance. Now, at the other end, you've got arrogance, right? And you don't want to be at either of those two ends. You know, arrogance, I think I know everything. Ignorance, I think I nothing, know nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy at either of those ends. But in the middle, so the one next to ignorance is actually go the other way. The one next to arrogance is confidence. So I know some stuff. I'm confident. I know some stuff. But on the other end, there's next to ignorance, there's uh, closer to the middle, there's one called wonderance, right? And you want to blend wonderance and confidence. So you want to know that you know stuff, but know that you don't know everything and always be wondering. And I reckon that is, that's the curiosity bit. And that'll help you keep learning and stay agile and, you know, changing world, all, all that stuff. So that, I think that's the first quality or skill is, is that. The second one was to be courageous. So this is a big theme of our conversation. And that's about doing stuff without being assured of success. That would be my definition of courageous, right? Is mm. to just act anyway without being short of success. And and if you can do that, then you will likely build confidence because you're trying stuff and you're oh, actually that did happen. Sometimes it won't, but if you do it enough, it will. Um, you'll learn stuff, so it links to the curious stuff. It's almost like the curious is the thinking piece and courageous is the doing piece, and that's the yin and yang, really. So there's those two. The third one is be connected. And so we've talked about you're the sum of the five people you, you most hang out with. And I think I think I broaden that to say connected is about relationship with yourself. So be connected mm-hmm. to yourself and understand who you are and how you're wired. And it's be connected to other people and be able to you know, connect well and have great relationships and learn from each other and support each other and challenge each other. But also be connected to the world. And it's that being having a sense of what's happening in the world, the blending links to the curious thing, just kind of know what's happening and see the patterns. So be connected to that as well. And I think if you can be connected and not be, I guess the opposite of that is disconnected and a bit of a in your own you know, ostrich in a hole sort of thing, then you're able to read what's happening at all of those levels and respond. And then the fourth one is conviction, be convicted. And another word for that is have purpose, um, have a sense of what's most important to you and live that. 
And to me, that's kind of like the, the foundational one or the, the one that binds all the other three together. And so having a sense of, well, what is it that I want to see happen in the world? What is most important to me? What are the things that I hold most dear? And build your life around those. So are they skills? Don't know. But I think they're, they're ways of being. And to me, they all reinforce each other. And there are, um, yeah, to me, they're the, I, I wrote a piece called Meta Skills for Interesting Times. Uh, the, 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 so in that way, I did describe them as skills. In, in a world of change and volatility and, you know, that, that, that word VUCA, which is a bit hackneyed these days, but volatility, um, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. Um, those are the sort of skills you need to cultivate to stay thriving. Mm, mm. Yeah. And I think, again, I mean, if you if you look at them as, as skills or traits or however you want to look at them, I think they're, as, as we've kind of discussed in our conversation already, they're things that you can train and yes. things that you can develop. I call it dial you, up in yourself, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Um, an, an interesting thing about conviction, um, and I, I want to hear your take on this. Yeah. Is that you? You said that it's it's probably the it's one of the most well, it's the most important one from that, and things stem from that. I'm just wondering what you think. Does conviction come from those three other Oof. skills? So you or the three other traits? Oh, so you need to be yeah. curious to find a a purpose. You need to be courageous to to pursue it. Um, and you need to be connected yeah, yeah, and having yeah. the right I conversations with people, but also with yourself to figure out what's important. With, it's a bit chicken you. and egg, isn't it? But I do like yeah. I do like that thinking, eh? Because I think life lived through the other three, the first three. If you're living that, then you'll learn so much about what's important to you, right? Mm. But then it's also the other way. It's like if you're able to inject what's important into you in your decisions and um, the way in which you show up with those other three, it'll it'll re, it'll be a virtuous cycle in yeah. some ways. Yeah. And I know when I've lost my sense of conviction, it's quite hard to be the other three. And uh, you know, if I don't have a sense of conviction, I'm probably going to be less courageous because I'm like, well, why am I doing this? Uh, you know. And I think, yeah, but to go out and do stuff like when I ran that workshop. And my, I came alive. I got back in touch with my conviction. And it was a bit scary for me to run it. So mm. in some ways, it was like, well, go and do it anyway. And I was like, oh, this is fired me up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point, isn't it? Like, does one come from the other or not? Yeah. yeah. Or is that, I mean, uh, it probably, the more I think about it, the more I, I, I picture it as kind of a circular model. Yeah. With it, the one feeds into the next, yeah, yeah. and they all kind of they all feed back into. And I, into I each draw other. it as a Venn diagram with oh, the yeah, three, yeah, yeah. and then so I have the three: courage, conviction, curiosity, um, all reinforcing each other, and then I have a big one around all of those that is kind of wrapping around them called conviction, mm. and that's the one that is sort of like. It's like the glue or it's behind them or in front of them or something like that. Yeah. 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 
Very cool. Um, Tigby, I could talk to you probably for weeks, I think. <laughs> um, so, but I'm just mind, mindful of what the, what the time is. So we should probably start heading sure. towards a, towards yeah. a finish point. We might have to get you back on at some point though. I'll it's be been, up for it's it. been fantastic. Um, I've got some questions that I usually ask, yeah. ask everybody. Um, so might, might just jump into them. Can you tell me about a time that you failed and what you learned from it? Yeah, well, I reckon I'd go back to that time um, where I burnt out for that recruitment company, um, which was a long time ago, but it was such a pivotal moment. It's almost like it was my early midlife crisis, right? And so not long after that, or maybe it was probably a year or so after that, I gave a talk at um, Toastmasters. Uh, it was my first ever talk at Toastmasters, and it was, uh, was all on define what success means to you. And... I, I related back to that experience I'd had with the recruitment company. And my lesson was that I took took on that national manager role for the wrong reasons. Um, it was about salary. It was about status. It was about travel. It was about all the ego stuff um, that I was susceptible you know, when I was in my late 20s or 30s. Um, and it wasn't really about true success. So and as a result of not doing it for the right reasons, um, you know, for ego reasons, I crashed and burned. I think that was a big part of it. So you could link that to the conviction thing. Um, so I learned and my message was define what success is and that has to be something that only you can answer. It's not what other people say. Mm. If you hadn't had that experience, do you think you would have come to understanding what success means to you as quickly? Such a hypothetical. (laughs) No, I don't think I would have. I think eventually I would have because I probably would have made the mistake somewhere else down the line. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the making of me. It was the breaking to start with and Mm -hmm. I was pretty broken. (sighs) Making sounds a bit egotistical, but it certainly shaped me in a way that it set me on a trajectory I'm still on. so I think eventually I would have found a way to learn that lesson. Um, yeah, I, in some ways, you know, I've, I'm grateful that it happened when it did because it's given me a really good life as a result of me doing some hard work being in that trough. Yeah. 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 Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Ha! <laughs> I do uncomfortable things every day. <laughs> what, what did you do today? Um, I challenged someone in a conversation that I thought they were um, kidding themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, it was someone who was uh, dancing around a topic and the, about something that they were avoiding doing um, and seeing in themselves as well. And I think, I don't know if it was super uncomfortable. It wasn't like a... I had to big up, build up my big courage muscles. It was actually a, all right, I've just got to be sensitive, but I need to say what I need to say here, right? And so I said it. Um, and how do I get through it? It was, I mean, it wasn't really something I had to endure. It was more of a, okay, I've got to say this and this person might be uncomfortable with this. And you could see them squirm a bit, but it was also, oh, yeah, no, that's a good call. So I think how I got through it was probably just by doing this lots of times over and over again mm. and going, yeah, yeah. It's actually the lovely saying, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it was like, oh, here's one of those uncomfortable moments. All right, I'll just do it because, and, and you'll get through it because you know it'll be 
past as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. What is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Oh, that's a good question. Gosh, gosh. The next uncomfortable thing I'm going to do. Um, Funnily enough, it probably is going to, I mean, there'll be more that come up before this, but in two months I'm going back to Nalu, back to Western Australia to do the same thing again, you know whatever year this is, um, it's always scary because there's sharks in the water and there's humpback whales that I might hit along windsurfing. Um, there's coral cuts and I'm 150 k's from the closest town. And One guy got a fine fish through his leg a few years ago. It's like, okay, there's a big spear going through his calf. Stuff happens. How am I going to get through that? <laughs> um I think my mates actually are the best people to have. I, I was thinking, I was hypothesizing if I went by myself and didn't have mates around, I don't think I would go and do half as much stuff as I do when they're there. So there's something about having that crew around who also want to challenge themselves and push themselves is is a big part of it, eh? Yeah. So I reckon that's it. I reckon there'll be a lot more before that's another two months away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've probably touched on this quite a lot already, but do you have any other strategies that you use for approaching uncomfortable situations? <sighs> Increasingly, it's the courage one. It's the, come on, dude, just do it because you're only living once and, um, I might not ever get to do this again, so just do it. And that's that's quite powerful. That realization that this day is only one is the only time I have this day is today. The only time this might occur is now. So do it and see what you learn. And I think that's a a really powerful one for me. A lot of people, other people say, "Well, yeah, what's the worst that can happen?" I can't do that, but I actually think that's the strategy. It's like you've got this day, this time now. Do what's right. Do do yeah. what you want to do. Listen to your gut and do it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I've got two more two more questions for you, Digby. But I just want to say thank you again for for taking the time to to sit down and have a chat with me. It's been it's been very cool. Uh, but also thank you for uh, pushing society towards that that right side of the bell curve as well and. Uh, Helping to accelerate those restless go-getters to, to innovate for change and to, to help create the future. That's a, that's a, that's a very important role thank that you. you're, you're performing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the first question for you is quite easy. If people are enjoying your stuff, where can they go to find out more about you, read your, read your wisdom or work, or work with you? All right, so the um, easiest place to go is just my site, digbyscott.com. You can find me on Twitter at digbyscott, or I'm not that big a tweeter. And LinkedIn on there too. I publish everything I write on LinkedIn as well. So pretty simple, digbyscott. There's not many of us around on the planet. No, I think you, you pop up first in a Google um, search. Yeah, that's kind of handy, right? Thanks, <laughs> yeah, mum yeah. and dad, for naming your weird names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the the next question's a little bit sort of more a little bit bigger. Do you have any challenges to leave me and the listeners with? Yeah, so I don't know how I put this in the words, but um 
I want one for you, Chris, which okay. is go and yeah. find someone really uncomfortable to interview that you would scare you. Right, that would be my challenge to you. Okay. And you probably know who that is. I reckon it's like who's the one you're avoiding, right? Mm. And I think to the listeners, it would be it's just the question: What's the uncomfortable thing you're going to do today? Go and do it. See what you learn. That yeah. would be it. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. Mm. Awesome, Digby. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. <laughs> it's been great, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that Digby and I had today. Uh, I took a whole lot out of it and definitely going to be implementing some of it myself. I'm still trying to decide on exactly who scares me the most to approach to get onto the show. Um, If you guys have any suggestions, then fire them over to me. You can send me an email, uncomfortableisokay at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Instagram or on Facebook, uncomfortableisokay. Or you can even tweet at me, ChrisDesmondNZ on Twitter, to uh, give me some suggestions of uncomfortable people that I should be approaching for the podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time to to listen today. Uh, if you want to support the show further, easiest way to do that is to uh, to share it out with your mates. Uh, you can hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Um, you could write a write a review on uh, on Apple uh, Podcasts, and maybe I'll be reading your one out next week. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, or if you want to go further and help support the show uh, financially, we have a Patreon account, www.patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay, where you get access to uh, a little bit extra as well of, uh, of things around the show. I want to also say thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing, slightly awkward and uncomfortable theme music that uh, graces our ears every week. Uh, Thanks so much for that, mate. And again, thank you guys for getting uncomfortable with Digby and I today. I'll see you all again next week.
Thank you.